dude the the best part about summer shows like summer festivals is the sound check dude and how he checks the mics because i had a guy at a metal concert and he just goes checks mix (laughs) check mate hey you gotta test gotta test those uh crisp consonants well they're always doing it every single day for the entire summer so you gotta get creative with it yep 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 (laughs) yep 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 one two three four that was pretty much it for like 20 minutes on every mic it was great in that case i'm leah and i'm bethann and this is she will rack you and we have so much shit to talk about so much shit like we're starting recording an hour earlier than we normally do to talk about all the things we ordered pizza just so we can eat and get rolling but also because pizza oh yeah that too let's start with we got a new review we did we've not had a new review probably since covid which is half our fault for not making episodes for a long time but half people just not leaving reviews so leave us a review Mm -hmm. this is from miss rosie four on what is this apple apple podcasts and she says hooray i found you caught you on the muses podcast and looked up your show so happy to hear some more awesome ladies talking about my favorite subject music and musicians i've already heard an episode on carol king and the one on def leppard I'm a nurse on a COVID floor. I started listening to podcasts on my days off when I take long walks. Gotta do something for self-care during this pandemic, and I won't do drugs. Winking emoji. (laughs) Thank you. Looking forward to exploring your other stories. Aw, and what's her name? Miss Rosie Four. Miss Rosie Four, and thank you for being on the front line of this, being a badass, taking down COVID. We salute our healthcare workers. Yes, we do. Next order of business would be the Stairway to Heaven update. Yes. All right. Breaking news. Insert breaking news noise. Anyway. You no longer need to find a, a sound effect for that. We did it ourselves. <laughs> Screw the copyright. I'm just going to make my own noises. Yes. Anyway. So I was in the car driving to the dentist. today today to get some fillings my mouth just stopped being numb just in time to record thank the rock gods (laughs) but anyway i'm listening i got channel 27 in my favorites on sirius xm which is a classic vinyl station highly recommend it and the disc jockey dj whatever (laughs) supposed to we gotta move on we got so much to talk about yes the dj said that there has been an update in the Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven lawsuit. Now, if you don't remember whether you're new or you haven't had a chance to listen, we covered Led Zeppelin in our spooky episodes that we do around Halloween. (laughs) And in it, we discussed that at that time of the recording, Led Zeppelin was currently in a lawsuit with the band Taurus for potentially stealing the intro to the song I don't remember their song but it was sung by Taurus that that intro was used for Stairway to Heaven Mm -hmm. well apparently the update is Led Zeppelin won that lawsuit but Taurus is appealing and it's now going to the Supreme Court that's amazing so I want you to think about this 
Led Zeppelin is going to the Supreme Court. Is it Taurus v. Led Zeppelin? I it's really, Taurus v. Led Zeppelin. That's amazing. Isn't that the best thing you ever heard? I want to watch this. Can they tell? I'm sure it's on C-SPAN. Dude, <laughs> all the rockers span C-SPAN. <laughs> it's their highest rated audience ever. Hello, Mia. Hi, Rody. Anyway, so that's that's the news, folks. That's the update. Also, update from our last episode. One is I sounded real depressed. Ignore that last episode. I was real stressed. Life's great now. I went and listened to it and I was like, why do I sound monotone? Who did you cover again? Uh, Little Richard. Oh, uh, Little Richard. Second update is I mentioned in that episode, I think, that I was going to see the Struts do a drive-in yes. show. And I saw both drive-in shows in Pennsylvania. Both are very different experiences. Um, real quick run by if you're interested in you know concerts in COVID times Mm because there have not been that many the first night was in Philly it was at the Philly stadium in the parking lot um did not like that setup at all just because you had to listen on your car audio yeah so like if you were outside of your car you kind of just heard the drum beat right there was no PA system um if you got really really close to the stage you could Mm -hmm. hear it but further back like you could just kind of hear what was on the monitors right but it did not sound great if you were outside of the car. Like parking and stuff was great. You couldn't really see either. If we were in the third row and couldn't see, like that's not good. I I, I respect like the process of it. Yeah, I had to sit on top of my friends. Yeah, I respect the thought that was going behind it, but the application yeah was not there. Would not go to another one in that format again. However, the second night was in Butler, Pennsylvania, which is on the other side of the state. I drove mm-hmm. across the state of Pennsylvania um, in Butler, which is the literal middle of nowhere. They have a what's still functioning pre-COVID as a drive-in movie theater. Mm-hmm. And they set the stage up where the movie screen is and have a PA system. So it's set up kind of Roman amphitheater style where it's like your cars are on different levels. So it's tiered seating mm-hmm. instead of all just being on one flat plane like it was in Philly. And this venue had different regulations. You could be outside of your car as long as you're in your pre-designated bubble. S- bubble. You you could be in front of your car. So we got there really freaking early, like 1 p.m. for an 8 p.m. show and got front row so we could actually see the stage. But I mean, you could hear I went to the concession stand in the middle of the show and like you could hear and way back in the back. Yeah, so that's good. If we have to keep concerts like this for a while, I vote using actual drive-in theaters with PA systems. Yeah. Not a fan of the in-car audio, but given the circumstances and given that, you know, concerts can't happen the way we're used to, they were amazing shows. I'll give them that. They mm-hmm. had to adapt. Um, it's got to be super hard to perform, not being able to really see the audience. They're just right. kind of chilling in cars. Yeah, because you, you feed off the energy of the crowd. So yeah. as an artist, like... You can't just be like clapping like, all right, sing along to a bunch of cars. Like, what are they going to do? Honk on beat? Like, We did do that. Luke, did you? Luke did a call and response with the horns, okay, which was funny cool, the first night because everyone had to stay in their cars. Yeah. But the second night, I guess no one told them that the rules are different between the venue. So after the first song, he gets out, looks at the crowd and goes, why the fuck aren't you guys in your cars? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, That's that. hilarious. I guess, I don't mean, no one told him we were allowed to be out outside of the car. Yeah. So who are we talking about this week? Okay. I want to preface this. Okay. So we're coming up to spooky season, right? 
And because those are heavier episodes, the whole purpose of why I chose this band was so that it would be fun, laid back, a little chill before we went into like the insanity that we have planned of, yeah, of our plan. So I'm telling you all that because I want you all to know I tried to make this episode fun (laughs) and it didn't have, but that, you know, it's all right. It happens. I surely thought the red hot chili peppers would be a fun loving band with crazy stories, mainly with flea being naked for half their sets. Like, I mean, he got naked during carpool karaoke. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I am surprised that is not what I found. So I found a story. Some I would expect. Some I just literally had no clue. I'm going to put some spoilers on this. There's some talk about death. There's a lot of talk about drugs. Don't do drugs. Yeah, don't do drugs. But that's that's your little trigger warning ahead of time. And this is why we're recording really early is because there's an extra long outline for this one. Yeah, it's a long boy. And buckle up for next week or next release Mm because mine is also very long. Yeah. Okay, so let's just get into it. We're going to start with a little back history first of most of the members here, starting with Anthony Kytus. Could be Kytus. I'm going to say Kytus. He was born on November 1st, 1962 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. His parents were Margaret, Peggy Noble, and John Michael Kytus. They weren't married very long. They divorced when Anthony was three. His dad was an actor who lived in Hollywood. And he went by the stage name, Blackie Dammit. That's terrible. <laughs> I hate that. Well, you know, of course I looked him up. And to answer your unspoken questions, he did not have any major roles. He was mainly a small actor who played random one-off characters for TV episodes. He's the dead guy in Law and Order. Probably. <laughs> or like just the one guy they hand the bag to of evidence. Like, here you go. And he just like analyzes it and walks away. Yep. I would also like to submit this fact for your review that later in life, he would go on to raise wolves and wolf hybrids the fuck? in the eight, in the nineties. What? That's, this is literally on his IMDb page. He doesn't have a Wikipedia. <laughs> it's on his IMDb he had page. no starring roles. They're like, you know what he did? Raised wolves. However, unfortunately his dad did sell drugs and him and his son would bond over them by doing them together. Mm, great parental role figure. And we're talking role. about not just like marijuana, but cocaine. How old was he at the like time? Like 11? Shit. So show of hand, who thinks this is a bad idea and I mean, foreshadows a lifelong struggle with drugs? I hope everyone is raising their hand. Yes, please raise your hand. Brody sit up, so he's in agreement. Yeah, <laughs> he gave his, head, his uh, agreement head shake. But let's move on to Flea. We're going to, we'll come back. I'm we'll, very we'll, excited we'll for back. Flea. Michael Peter Balzari. Of course his name's Michael. Was born in, and this is going to explain a lot, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia on October 16th, 1962. And reason why it explains a lot to me because I think Australia, I think of the wild thornberries where he played. <laughs> The brother, the young brother that didn't really talk. He just kind of did all the noises. Wait, Flea? Yes. What the? What? He was Donnie. He was 
to brother Donnie or Danny, whatever his name was. Donnie. Yeah, Donnie. That was Flea. Flea has, I, been, Flea has been in a lot of movies. Like, he's been in The Big Lebowski. He was in, uh, oh shit, what was it? There's a recent movie. I can't think of the name of it. But, like, he's been, he's an actor. I'm shook that he yeah. was Donnie in Wild Thorns. So, I don't know why Australia and that connects for me. Maybe because, like, a lot of episodes took place in Australia, I think. So, I don't I know. never know where that show was taking I don't place. Know. Anyway, uh, when he was four, his family moved to Rye, New York. But then shortly, his parents divorced and him and his dad moved back to Australia. He completed three years of school there and then moved back to the States with his mom. His mom remarried to a jazz musician named Walter Urban. This started in Flea, a love for jazz music as well as the trumpet. We're going to pin that instrument for later. Okay. It's going to come back in the most amazing way. I promise you. Anyway. So jazz musicians, though, we're just stopping by his house to have jam sessions. It's the way to grow up, dude. Yeah. (laughs) And so but the fortunate thing is dad's uh, the stepfather here was an alcoholic and very violent. Too bad. (laughs) Too bad. There's a theme. (laughs) Foreshadowing. It's really the theme (laughs) in all these artists. Yeah. No, it's true. And to cope with this flea smoked cannabis daily are we surprised no (laughs) i feel like i just told you he drank water every day yeah like yeah of course what else would he do have you seen the man are we surprised (laughs) um also there's no good place to submit this fact so i'm putting it here but flea got his nickname from always twitching that makes sense i'm also adding another character into the mix his name is hillel slovak he was born on April 13th, 1962 in Haifa, Israel. His parents were both survivors of the Holocaust. That's cool. So the family immigrated from the United States and they first landed in Queens. Uh, but eventually they made their way to Los Angeles. When he was 13, he received a guitar as a present for his bar mitzvah. And it was around this time he fell in love with hard rock like Jimi Hendrix, Kiss and Led Zeppelin. And that's all the characters I'm going to introduce for now, because we're going to fly over to Fairfax High School in the late 70s. So attending school during this time is Anthony Kaidas Flea and Hello Slovak, but he doesn't come into the picture a little bit later on. So Anthony and Flea first met in a fight. Yes. They didn't like each other, so they had a confrontation. But once they got out of their systems, they were bros and they started causing mischiefs, doing drugs together. One of the hobbies they like to do together, which jump off buildings, land in pools. Parkour. Parkour, parkour. (laughs) And in fact, Anthony once jumped off a five story building and missed by a couple (gasps) inches, breaking his back. How is he not dead? He's fine. He has some problems, but he's recovered. Anyway, the two also bonded over music, such as the Grateful Dead. Anthony would later expose Flea to punk rock, which changed Flea forever. You think he would have been in rock because he had jazz background? Yeah. So whatever. It's cool. Um, Later on, Anthony would meet Hillel attending his band show Anthem. 
I love this next sentence off of Wiki because it's so high school. So I'm going to quote it here. After meeting and talking after the show, Hillel invited Anthony over to his house for a snack. No. <laughs> He's like, to talk about music. Would, like, would you like some tang? Because <laughs> it's the 70s. Would, would you like some, I don't know. What are they eating in the 70s? I mean, they're probably just Chips? smoking weed. Let's be real. You want some Pringles? <laughs> they're just smoking weed. Yeah. So through Anthony, Hillel meets Flea. This is also crazy to me. He's responsible for teaching Flea bass guitar. Like bass is such a great instrument in jazz. It's interesting that that's where he learned it from. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but that's, that's, that's how the story goes. He's too busy playing trumpet. Yeah. So now we have this crew. Flea, Anthony, hello. Playing slash talking about music and doing so many fucking drugs. We're talking LSD we're talking heroin all of it we're talking cocaine we're all talking above. methamphetamine and marijuana like newsflash this is not good to do in high school no do not do this in high school but don't this, do it period but especially not yeah. in high school but i will say despite all the drug use anthony kytus got straight a's i don't know what the lesson is in there but make your own conclusions <laughs> like good for him yeah good for him i don't know how he arranged that but okay so when does this druggy slash mischief crew become a band? Well, I'm glad you asked, Leah. In 1983, the band known as Tony Flo and the Miraculous Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Mm-mm. <laughs> That's on the list of bad first band names. Well, they had their first show opening for Gary and Neighbors Voices at the Rhythm Lounge. There was a whopping 30 in attendance. But you know, you got to start somewhere. And the lineup included Anthony Kytus on vocals, Hello Slovak on guitar, Flea on bass, and Jack Irons on drums. He was in the band with Hillel as well. So that's how he came over. So Hillel, at the time, his band changed from Anthem to What Is This? And for a while, both Jack and Hillel stayed in both bands. Until so what is this strikes a record deal. So both Hillel and Jack left to focus on what is this? Understandable. Yep. But then two weeks later, Red Hot Chili Peppers, formerly known as Tony Flo and the rest of the M words, <laughs> strike a seven album record deal. A seven? Who signs a band with seven albums? I don't know. Honestly, after reading them, Wiki sounds far fetched because they only did five with that label. But still, seven. that's what it says. That is, that's like literally signing someone on for 17 years. Yeah. Or not 14 years. Math no, is No, I've never heard of that. Yeah, normally. And this is just like, we'll get into it, but they're very different than what you think of Red Hot Chili Peppers today. Weird. Very different. But the band recruits drummer Cliff Martinez, guitarist Jack Sherman to take their place. So their self-titled self, self album released in August 1984 it sold 300,000 copies. To support their album, they went on tour, which was 60 shows in 64 days. That is one hell of a tour. Yeah. And during this time, guitarist Jack Sherman and Anthony Kytus, they're having some tension. Sherman gets fired and he's gone by 1985. But conveniently, Hilo Slovak has left What Is This? And he rejoins the Red Hot Chili Peppers. 
Now, like I said, I want to talk about their sound because it is nothing like what you know. It's not California Cation. It's not under the bridge. Like it is straight funk, punk rock, and rap. It Interesting. is a fast slap bass. It is fast guitar riffs with funk and rap. Like Anthony doesn't even sound like himself. <laughs> he sounds so different. Not like a high, like you would think like he's younger. So maybe his voice is a little higher pitch. He actually has a lower voice. It's <laughs> weird. Um, but yeah, fast, aggressive, in your face music. I would like to think it is because of Hello Slovak's playing that this was the case for it because he's known for those funk riffs and experimenting with speed metal where there is definitely influences of that. So he, I feel like was a real archetype for that sound. But yeah, I would recommend just listen for 30 seconds to any song off their first or second album. It is like unrecognizable. Weird. But you definitely can hear like those punk and funk like influences in their later albums for sure. Mm-hmm. But it, it is just so different. Okay. On to their second album, Freakly Styly. I don't know. Anyway, this album didn't chart anyway. <laughs> it didn't do eh. well commercially. Um, but it was produced by George Clinton, which is really cool. He's the leader of the Paramount Funkadelic, Funkadelic. Collective. Yeah. 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 Didn't he play here? He played here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think he may have played Woodstock, but I cannot quote that exactly. But something in my brain is telling me that. But EMI Records gave the band $5,000 to record demo tapes for their third album. Only 3000 was used for recording. The rest went to drugs. That, that does not surprise me one bit. No. So around the time of, so around this time of their third album, both Anthony and Hillel just have de, de, uh, debilitating, yeah, debilitating heroin addictions. So, but fortunately, Anthony lets his addiction ruin his drive to make music. Like he's falling asleep at rehearsals. He's not in it, right? Yeah. At least Hillel, yes, he has heroin, but he's like driven by the function. music. Yeah. So for their third album, they wanted Rick Rubin, who's a really legendary rock producer, to produce it. But he's like, nah, you guys are too addicted to drugs. So you're not focused. I mean, absolutely fair. Yeah. These kids are probably like 20 at the time, 21. So you shouldn't even be doing that stuff anyway. But anyway, he's like, no, I only work with serious musicians. So it got so bad that Anthony was briefly fired from the band, which gave him a chance to enter rehab and get clean. That's good. Briefly. The band did let him back in. But after 50 days of being clean, he would start doing drugs again. Their third album, though, the Uplift Mofo Party Plan. (laughs) (laughs) It would do like commercially well. It charted on the Billboard 200, pretty low, but still charted. Um, but in nineteen, in uh, June 1988, after a strenuous tour for the album, Hillel Slovak died of a drug overdose. Oh, damn. Like he literally, like they could not contact him for a couple of days and finally someone went over and he was just gone. Um, but this just sent Anthony into like a complete spiral. He left town. He didn't even attend his best friend's funeral. Ooh. Like, that's how bad. He was in Mexico, like, strung out in a fishing village. Ooh. Because he could not cope with it. Um, 
and also Jack Irons left the band shortly after because he was just shocked, depressed that he was gone. He didn't want anything to do with something that caused his best friend's death. He would actually later go on to be with Pearl Jam. Kind of cool. But like, yeah, he was just like, I'm done. Hmm. So Anthony did eventually come back to town a few weeks later. Um, he finally did go see Hillel's gravesite after a friend convinced him. And that's when he decided to make a commitment, like a clean once and for all. Good for him. And also Flea and Anthony also decided to keep the band together to try and continue what Hillel started. But, you know, during this transitional time in the band, they had Dwayne Blackbird McKnight, who was part of George Clinton's Par, uh, Parliament, Parliament, thank you, Funkadelic group, and they also had D. D. H. Pellegro of the Dead Kennedys join on the drums. There was a bit of tension between them; it wasn't a good mix, so they kind of shortly departed afterwards. But before D. H. left, he introduced the band to John Frusciante, a baby teen at the time but he joined the band on guitar. And then after a few rounds of audition, Chad Smith, AKA Will Ferrell's twin (laughs) joined the fray. So this is the lineup that fans would associate the band with. Like it's whenever I think red hot chili peppers, I think of this lineup. Yeah. But their first album together is called mother's milk, which I don't like that. Yeah. What would you imagine that cover would be, by the way, when I say mother's milk? Probably a boob. Correct. (laughs) It is a woman bare at the top and her hands are like in a cradling position. And in her cradle is miniature versions of the band members. Mm -mm. Fun fact, the model who had that photo taken of her did not know she would be on the cover and was awarded $50,000 in the settlement. So make sure you... Use the right photos, kids. Good for her. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But they're good because the, al- the album certified gold. Okay. So they, they could pay that out easily. Um, but Make it's, enough money to cover your lawsuits, yeah. kids. <laughs> it's really the lesson here that I'm trying to tell you. It's <laughs> the moral of this episode. <laughs> but uh, the first time... So that's the first time they certified gold for the band, I believe. But the album received mixed reviews. It also got banned in a couple places because, yes, there are like coverage of the 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 Bouziers, but are we surprised? Not no. like complete. It's 1989 at this point, so there's not like it's still very controversial. Anyway, I'm moving on. It's because Reagan was president. Yes, correct. And then George H.W. was right around the corner. So we're not making any progress here. I fucking love this record as a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. Every week, a guest and I discuss a record that we both fucking love. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts or from our website, lovethisrecord.com. Um, so even though they are four albums in, it just seems like the band has yet to find their footing and sound probably has a lot to do with the insane drugs and tragedy they're experiencing. Plus it's a new group and that just takes time, but that's okay. Cause their next album is blood sugar, sex magic, which is one of the albums they are just known for. It's also 
in my opinion, one of the best titles of an album. Yes. It's I agree. Such a good title. Oh, it's perfect. Um because it like rhymes together like blood yeah. sugar sugar sex sex magic yeah like it's just cool before we talk about this album we need to talk about where it was recorded okay so rick rubin the producer that we talked about earlier in the story came around on the peppers because he saw they were more focused more adult so he agree- agreed to record them and he suggested a place called the mansion, which he would later buy. I don't think he owned it at this point. But this home is rumored to be owned by Harry Houdini at the time. Neither he lived there or his widow lived there, but there's a Harry Houdini tie to it. Is it haunted? Welcome to an early peek at spooky season, folks. Yes. Because you better believe this house is haunted. Yes. How could it not be haunted? Uh, did you see how excited I got yeah. to tell you where it was filmed? <laughs> I was like, it's either haunted or the Zeppelin van. Yeah. <laughs> so. Or the Rolling Stones van. Here's the story. Here's the story. In the early 1900s, the son of a like furniture store dude threw his lover over a balcony. Oh shit. Killing her. Hence the haunting. Other bands that have recorded there have reported strange stories. The guitarist of System of a Down, Darian Malakian, Malakian, said that every night at 4 a.m., his amp would start making weird noises. Slipknot singer Corey Taylor said he saw two orbs floating by the thermostat, which, side note, I find hilarious because, like, <laughs> paranormal activity is known for calling these. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat real quick. That's a dad ghost. <laughs> He's making sure no one makes it hot well, in there. Because they have the cool spots and hot spots. He's like, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> just hover in front of the thermostat and make it, <laughs> make it register the oh, cold. Oh, I temperature. love it. The weirdest story. Slipknot's drummer, Jordy Jor- Jordison great name reported that a ghost let's just say touched him intimately Ooh, kind of dan Aykroyd ghostbuster vibe thing going on here Ooh, but yeah it freaked him out rightfully as, so <laughs> as it would i think 99.9 percent of the population i mean except for the one lady who said she was married to michael jackson's ghost oh no it would not have freaked her out also another lady who has she's on british like reality tv she's claimed that she's has had a hundred ghost lovers oh my god so <laughs> it would not freak out these people yes they're like all right let's get down like it would not freak them out but the rest of us <laughs> they're the rest of us i feel like if you're freaking out the lead singer of slipknot you're real Dude, freaky <laughs> you're really saying something right there you know kudos to that ghost it went somewhere <laughs> <laughs> Could oh, not tread. It definitely went somewhere. <laughs> anyway, we got to move on. We got too much. We got to go. Um, anyway, during the recording of this album, Chad Smith refused to live there while recording. I don't blame him one bit. But John Frusciante said the ghosts were friendly, which makes me think. What does he mean by friendly? <laughs> <laughs> After reading up the Ghost Lovers. Anyway. Can um, we name the episode Ghost Lovers? 
dude it just made me think of their song uh give it away <laughs> <laughs> and the content of that was a good all right <laughs> anyway the album cover oh not the album cover but the art in the album for blood sugar sex magic like the fold-out art yeah it features a picture of an orb that was taken while they were there. Like it's literally like going past them. Like the orb is moving. This thing is moving. And it's covering half of Anthony's face. I could show you it if you want later. Yeah, we'll, I'm going to we'll, do it now. I'm not risking. We'll throw that in as a graphic. Oh yeah. Oh, it's definitely going in as a graphic. Um, but I like to think that the ghosts helped make that album a success. Because the album just took off. Just we, took off. Would we <laughs> Would we say the album was ghost written? Oh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Don't you bring that shit over here. <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> so this has been your sneak peek of what spooky spooky season is like for us i also want to know that we're both completely sober right now oh we haven't even broken into our beers yet no the, we'll get to them next next episode but anyway that was your sampling of what spooky season is like here come back in october it's we gonna be got, wild we got we got quite the episodes lined up and i'm very excited um Anyway, the album was released on September 24th, 1991. The same day, Naverna, 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 the same, (laughs) the same day Nirvana released just a little album called Nevermind. That was a good day, dude. (laughs) Some stoner was having a great day. They didn't know what hit them in 1991. Um, but the album went platinum in April of 1992. Hey, that's the month I was born. And reached number two on the Billboard 200. Um, but it sold... Was Nirvana number one? Probably, honestly. That's, yeah. That's a hard album to beat. Yeah. That's a great album. And it's hard to beat. Yeah. Even today. Today's standard... Like, that album is, like, on a pedestal. It is on a pedestal. Um, but it sold 12 million copies altogether, so they did pretty damn good. Yeah, that's really good. Anyway, it's also listed on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I want to talk real quick about the hits on this album. You, of course, know Give It Away, which I highly recommend watching the band's Carpool Karaoke with James Corden, hence why me and Leah are laughing a lot, because there's this... While they're singing the song, James Corden really busts Anthony's balls about what the song is about, and it's hilarious. I, we should watch it again after we yes. finish recording. It well, is it is one great. of my top five carpool karaoke videos. <laughs> I'm just gonna give you a snippet. Hey, you want to wrestle in that lawn? <laughs> That's all you need to know. I'm not gonna tell you anymore. Also, Flea takes his shirt off about two minutes into the video. <laughs> yeah, just another day, another Flea, another day. <laughs> yeah. But on this album is also the song Under the Bridge, which is arguably their most popular song. I also see it as one of their most authentic, somber songs they've ever written. And first, I'm going to talk about the sound of that song, because up to this point, from my understanding, I may be wrong. I didn't listen to all three albums before this, so (laughs) can't fully confirm, but I'm pretty sure Anthony never sang before. He just rapped. Uh. And because of that, 
Anthony didn't really want to add the song into their repertoire, but when producer Rick uh, Rick Rubin discovered the song in his journal, I don't know why he's looking through his journal. Who knows? <laughs> that um, seems like a violation of privacy. <laughs> it just might. Um, but he convinced him to sing it for his bandmates. I personally like Anthony's singing voice. I've always liked it. Um, but he just didn't sing up to this point. Second, let's talk about the lyrics. Because this was originally a poem Anthony wrote about the isolation he was feeling because of his past action with drugs. It was a time where he was like three years sober. Him and his girlfriend had just broken up. His bandmates and him were a little strained because, excuse me, because of his drug habits. But he lost his best friend. Yeah. And the song is about how LA is his only companion. And the bridge that he talks about was where he would purchase drugs from a gang, a low point in his life. Dang. So I like found a new appreciation for that song. Yeah. Like it was good. And I would hear on the radio, but it's just interesting. Like I never really knew like the intensity that was going into the songwriting Mm -hmm. for them. So I just think it's really cool. So everything's going great. The band finally got their big break. They're touring with fucking Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Smashing Pumpkins. Like, I think this is one tour bill we're talking here. Damn. Like, if time machines were invented, I'm going back to that show. Meanwhile, we were just, like, sitting on the couch watching Rugrats. This is 1993, so I am... Oh, I was not born. You were born. I'm, like, in a diaper. Yeah, I'm in a diaper by this time eating mashed banana, throwing it on my brother, you know. But also this was a little after the tour, but it's time to unpin that fact about the trumpet I told you. Remember when I said this fact was going to come back, this instrument is going to come back in an amazing way? I don't know when this happened, but at some point, Flea played the trumpet on stage with Nirvana what i don't know the context of that i don't know when it happened but i was born in the wrong year folks because what i would pay to watch flea play the trumpet is there a video of honestly i didn't look it up because i was in the heat of writing this this is a long one i should have done more research yeah but i was researching some other videos we're going to talk about in a sec but yeah look it up Okay. That's what the internet says. Of course, the internet has never lied to me. So we're going <laughs> with it. Um, but then guitarist Frushante is having some issues adjusting to his newfound fame. And I want to back up here because he's like a good eight years younger than the band. He's a baby. He's a baby. And that's really hard to go on like an international tour or be big all of a sudden because Red Hot Chili Peppers is an underground band before this album and then they're just blowing up taking the charts by storm so john starts developing a secret heroin addiction and he just starts spiraling from there in the most insane way in 1992 after a show in tokyo he just quits oh they had to convince him to go on stage that for that show and then the next day he was on a flight to los angeles oh shit yeah the band was really pissed about it especially anthony yeah um, but his drug addiction from there got so severe, like more severe than I've ever heard. So 
once again, I'm going to quote this straight from Wiki from Time Stakes. An article in the New Times LA described Frushante as a skeleton covered in thin skin. Ooh who at the nadir of his addictions nearly died from a blood infection on a side note from another article I read, I read the only 12th of his blood of his like veins was actually blood. Like that's how bad it was. How did he survive that? He literally survived like two near death. Like by the skin of his teeth survive. Dang. His arms became fiercely scarred from improperly shooting heroin and cocaine leaving him with permanent abscesses Ew! he spent the next three years holed up in hollywood hills homes the walls of which were badly damaged and covered in graffiti during this time his friends johnny depp because johnny depp rolled with this crew of like nirvana pearl jam we'll get more into him in a second but johnny depp and gibby hayes who was part of another band went to his house and filmed a documentary short called stuff depicting the squalor that he was living in i have watched this it's 12 minutes on youtube it is like haunting it's like eerily haunting like you don't want to believe this is real life um the house was eventually destroyed by a fire probably for the best yeah and claimed his vintage guitar collection along with several several recorded tapes of the music. So if you cannot tell, this this dude is not well. And like I said, he was on the brink of death like twice. So in a report by Louder Sound, they also give a snapshot into his mental conditions. He claimed at one point to have nearly 400 ghosts in his head telling him what to do and hearing voices was partially responsible for him leaving red hot chili peppers like he was hearing a voice telling him he had to go that's really sad yeah no it really is and they were also saying things like you got to take drugs for six full years no one can take drugs for six full years no no you will die so there is a lot I wish I had time to cover about him. Like you could seriously do a whole like episode about his recovery. Cause you, um, but due to time restraints, we just can't. I highly recommend reading Louder Sound's article called Drugs, Ghosts, and the Radical Rebirth of John Fushante. It is so well written, but it's such an incredible story. We'll of this post guy. it on Facebook. Yes, mm-hmm. we will. So one last thing, though, before we move on, that I wanted to touch on an event that really shapes John Frusciante and also the band. So John Frusciante and the rest of the band were good friends with River Phoenix, who is brother to Joaquin Phoenix. So River Phoenix was an actor. He also was a musician. And he's chilling with like Johnny Depp. Like these, there's this 90s crew, mm-hmm. of like bands and actors, and these actors who are in bands. So like Johnny Depp and River are included in that, and Joaquin. And they're all on drugs? And they're all on drugs, yeah. So on the night of October 30th, 1993, River and John arrived at the Viper Room, which was owned by Johnny Depp at the time. Dur- um, but it was during the night, River overdosed and died Hmm. like so he was supposed to perform in a band i think john was in the band but flea was definitely in the band and johnny depp was in the band 
and he just overdosed in like in the street and flea actually went with him in the ambulance but he died the following morning on october 31st he was only 23 dang and he was like filming movies like they just released one movie he was in the middle of filming like 19 years after his death like in 2018 or something like that wow um now this next part just sounds so eerily similar like this is the reason why i'm putting this in here because john frusciante refused to go see his grave which is a decision kytus almost made with hillel Mm -hmm. in 88 it is just so weird yeah like how you have this friend and he passes away and it's just you don't want from a drug overdose from a drug overdose and you don't want to deal with the reality of it he also later claimed in an interview uh john frusciante did that he didn't care if he himself lived or died like this is a bad this is a bad situation so john leaves in 1992 they replace him with dave navarro of jane's addiction the only thing i remember of him growing up with uh was with mtv in the 2000s where he married carmen electra or (laughs) carmella electra i don't know her name and they like televised their wedding even though I grew up listening to Jane's Addiction as a kid on the radio, this is like today news for me that he was a part of that band. <laughs> so yeah, it's fascinating. I to forget me. that he's in a band because I first knew him as the judge on Ink Master. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And that's then right. like Dave Navarro is in Jane. And I'm like, Excuse no, me? he's the judge on Ink Master. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they're not grooving at all navarro also wrote like a lot more darker metal riffs like i went back and listened to the album that he's on and it's just so not it's just not the same mm-hmm. and he also admitted he hated punk or funk is your funk or punk i wasn't sure <laughs> one of the two one of the two so their next album in 1995 one hot minute minute like i said just doesn't sound like them at all also doesn't help at the time that navarro and kytus relapsed on heroin nope so that's great so it's 1988 the band is about to break up navarro is fired for his drug use he also just wasn't the right fit nah the only thing that can keep the band together is john frusciante in fact flea outright threatens to leave the band if they don't give frusciante another chance because fru flea is in the background here being his friend Mm -hmm. and trying to like somewhat help him even though he did drugs with him tried to like help him he's like the one who encouraged him to go to rehab so it's 1998 and he is entering actually rehab now and he's getting clean thank you flea for encouraging that he is also at this point getting skin grafts for his his, because his arms are just shot to hell no pun intended but seriously and he's spending a whopping seventy thousand dollars to fix his teeth after his drug use yeah yeah after six years apart the band finally jams together in flea's garage and it is like magic again the band is happy being back together being whole this happy re- reunion leads to their most successful album to date, California Cation. You probably have heard of it. Everyone's heard of it. Everyone's heard of it. If you've gone to the gym, you've listened to this song. 
Planet Fitness times. loves it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> the album sold more than 15 million copies worldwide and reached number three on the Billboard 200. The album also features hits like Scar Tissue, Other Side, California Cation. The songs on the album have a whole different feel than any of their albums either. Mm-hmm. So there's still a little bit of funk in there, but it's more melodic, strong melodies, more singing from Anthony. Uh, the, pre- the premise behind these songs were, quote, to tell tales of wandering souls who lost their way searching for the American dream in California. It's their most commercially successful album to date. I just think this is what's interesting to me. Like I think of Red Hot Chili Peppers. They had a really corny like video for Californication where they made it look like a video game in the 1990s. <laughs> like a P- PlayStation 1 we're talking yeah. here quality. I don't I didn't hear this. Yeah. You know, it's no. just crazy. So like I said, we don't have much time for this one. I mean, we just don't have we don't make our episodes two hours we like to give you a good sampling of it you can do some research you can do some more more research but I'm just going to give you the cliff notes and the highlights here of their later years Um, so the band would go on to record a couple more albums together by the way was released in July 2002 Stadium Arcadium was released in 2006 which was supposed to be a trilogy of albums, but they cut it down to a double album. Then in 2008, 2010-ish, the band just took a break because they've been touring for so many years. During that time... (laughs) There's a recession, you know. Yeah, there's also a recession during that time. But during those years, Kytus becomes a dad. Flea went to take music theory classes for jazz trumpet at the University of Southern California. Good for him. Chad Smith was probably hanging out with Will Ferrell. <laughs> and John Frusciante is quitting the band again. Yeah. But this time to pursue a solo career. Not because the voice has told him to. But this time he puts his trusted collaborator and tour guitarist, Josh Klinghoffer, to take his place, which was such a smart decision. Then with him, they released two more albums, I'm With You and The Getaway. But in January 2020, yes, it was revealed Josh Kl- Klinghoffer was departing. And can I get some inspiration sports music here? Because John Frusciante is back, baby. Yeah. And then 2020 went to hell. And then COVID happened. But there is a new album in the works. Oh, good delayed due to COVID, but it is in the works. I am personally excited for this album because the history has told me the trend is John leaves. Eh, music. Not the best. He comes back. Bangers all around. This is true. So, as far as for their legacy, as we wrap here, uh, wrap up here, sure, we can talk about the kind of transitions their music went through, but for me, It's all about these comeback stories from these really insane drug battles. Like, like I said, I don't know about you, but growing up for me, all these drug references and depressive lyrics, completely over my head. Yeah. Completely over. And like I said, the only thing that comes to mind prior to this episode for research, first thing comes to my head for some reason, flea naked slapping bass. And 
Titus always shirtless, no matter what his age is. The man's always shirtless. Yeah. And I just never saw the story of the rising and falling with drug addiction and how that influenced their music. But I do want to end on a high note with a quote that I'm going to horribly summarize um, because I barely remember it, but I remember enough. And it's from Flea when he was on Sirius XM, which is now becoming a research tool, apparently. They have a lot of great resources. Hey, you know, I got an extra three months for $2 when I got my new car and they gave me the three month trial. I got a little hassle deal. I waited for them to call me. Want the good deals. They want you back. Yeah. Three, three months for $2. Anyway, for some reason, this quote launched the investigation (laughs) into red hot chili peppers for me. He said, if there is no passion in what I am doing, I'd rather go sit on the beach and eat papayas. I don't blame him at all. And I think that's fair to sum up this band. That's the moral of the story. That's the moral of the story. Closes out late. We don't have beers or it's actually ciders this round. We couldn't start this early. We'd fall asleep. We just had to get it rolling, but we're going to grab them for next episode. So join us back in two weeks to hear our beer recommendation. Two weeks and for me and Leah... About five minutes. About five minutes. Uh, I'm trying to find our outro notes. I don't know why I said that with a country western Trying to find my outro notes. I work at a tractor dealership for two days and start talking like If you come back a month later and have a southern accent, we're going to have to have a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. You can subscribe pretty much wherever podcasts are listened to apple Podcasts, google play spotify you name it we're probably there uh we'd love it if you left us a review on apple podcasts it really helps people find us and we just really like hearing your thoughts um especially if you throw a joke about not doing drugs in there great reference a uh, special shout out to josh tarpley for our intro riff you can follow us on all of the social media facebook instagram is at she will rock you podcast we're on twitter at she will rock the letter u pod you can follow me at lee elizabeth.j you can follow bethann at bethann tarpley send us an email we love hearing from our listeners um so far no one has but when they do we'll love it <laughs> you can email us at she will rock you podcast at gmail.com and please do not be like the red hot chili peppers please don't do drugs please do not do drugs especially not at that level holy cow please don't uh so we'll see you back here in two weeks peace